Well, good morning, everybody. Um, if you'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. John 20. We're going to be in verses 19 to 31 today. John, John 20, 19 to 31. Uh, while, you're, while you're turning there, I've just set the stage a little bit. So uh, I, I work from, from home in my regular you know, job. And so I, I have a six by four closet upstairs that I've turned into a, an office. Um, it's still a closet, but we call it the office. And because I can actually get in there and close the door and sit comfortably. So that, that's enough, right? That's sufficient. So all of my um, social, um, all, all the, any social life that I have between eight and five is through a screen, right? It's through, it's through a screen. So I have meetings, various meetings throughout the day, probably too, too many meetings, honestly. But I have several meetings through the, through the day. And on Wednesday, um, so that's where, so because that's the way for every employee or the company I work for, I have found that every meeting I have um, always has like seven or eight minutes of, you know, how, how are you? You know, just banter, you know, just things that you would normally do ad hoc in the office, but you, you can't do in the office anymore because there is no office. We literally sold the office. So it's, it's all through the, through the screen. And, it's, and it's, it's kind of refreshing. It's nice. So this, this past Wednesday, um, I, I, I came into a meeting and, and it was, you know, like, 201. I was all of 60 seconds late to this online meeting. And so when I joined in, the other people who are in the meeting, including my boss, by the way, so that was awesome, um, were, were already talking. You know, they're already having a conversation. And so right when I came online, one of the, one of the women in the room, in, in the room, uh, in the, in the, on the screen said, she's like, yeah, I just drove, I just drove right into Vanderbilt and, you know, stuck my arm out and, and, and they did the shot and off, off we went. And they were, so they were talking about getting vaccinated for the, um, uh, what is it? Yes. COVID. Yes, that's right. <laughs> COVID, getting vaccinated for COVID. So, um, so that began a conversation around the room, like, well, how do you get a reservation? Like, how did you get this? You're a, 35-year-old woman, you don't meet any of the qualifications for this, that, or the other that, you know, get you in there in line. And then the, then the conversation became, well, are you, are you going to get the vaccine? And so there was like going around the room, like sharing our different perspectives about the vaccine. Is this controversial, too controversial for the Sunday morning? I just, okay, I just, I want to get a feel for the room. Um, that's good. So, and it was fascinating. I mean, there were just like five or six of us in the, in the meeting, but um, there was a variety of opinion on the spectrum of, I could have gotten a shot six months ago in the, in the trials to, I'm not going to get one until the government straps me down to a table and forces me to get one. Like there was that perspective all the way across um, in the room. And, and I found, you know, the, and, I, and I was like, well, I'm going Friday and my arm is still sore. But, you know, so I've, I've had mine. But so I was kind of right in the, you know, like, yeah, I'm like, of course I'm going to do this. But I wasn't, you know, signed me up six months ago and I'm not, no way, not until the government forces me to do it. Like I'm not that person. So if you go a little down this line, I was interested in this conversation because I wanted to understand what this person's reasons were for doubting the vaccination. Like, I know microchips aren't involved. I I know this is not the mark of the devil, whatever. Like, we're not, I'm not talking about that kind of paranoia, schizophrenia, et cetera, et cetera. But I just wanted to know from this person's perspective, what the, what the doubt was, what the, what was getting at his source for doubt, his concern, if you will, and what it would take 
for him to get to the place where he would be comfortable in believing, if you will, that the vaccination was a really good thing. So with that in mind, if you would please stand and read with me John 20, verses 19 through 31. When the, it was evening of the first day of the week, and the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jews came, stood among them, and said to them, Jesus came, excuse me, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands... Put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, we're going to switch again? Yeah. do this in seminary. Just not in front of everybody. Okay. Can you hear me now? Is that okay? All right. Very good. Almost. <laughs> so, so goodness. Doubt. I want to talk today about doubt. We spent a lot of time last week talking about belief, talking about faith out of Hebrews 10 and 11. In this Easter, I want to talk about doubt. Why do we doubt? Doubt has a lot of sources. It has a lot of causes. Sometimes we doubt something out of ignorance, and we just need to be corrected, right? Sometimes there are things that we say, I don't don't know about that, but a little education, a little bit of research, a little bit of reading, a little bit of experience will go a long way to lead us to believe in that scenario instead of doubt. 
Sometimes we doubt because our worldview or our guiding philosophy in our life leads us to doubt certain things. This is really prevalent in my generation growing up, this this idea of relativism, this, that anything could conceivably be true. It could be your truth. And so if you come up with this this expectation that basically anything could go, you, you're gonna, you could conceivably, ironically, you can conceivably doubt just about anything because it doesn't necessarily have to be true for you. So your worldview can lead you to be doubtful about certain things. Sometimes doubt is a rite of passage. It's a part of our, our maturing process. We were having a conversation in Sunday school just this morning in kids class about a conversation you were having with a young lady with regard to her faith. And it's, and, it's, and it's not something that she wants to blindly understand out of tradition. It's something that she wants to own for herself. And so as a rite of passage, we may go through those kinds of experiences and have some doubt. So sometimes doubt is there. Sometimes we doubt just because we're exhausted or just because we're, we're stressed. Um, so we, there are, there, are you familiar with this word hangry? H-A-N-G-R-Y. It's the combination of hungry and angry, it's also like the main feeling in our home, any two-hour block um, inside of our family, because like that's real, right? And so you, you know that feeling too, like when you just wake up in the morning and you wonder like where, where Luke had surgery. Luke had surgery um, a couple weeks ago. And uh, he, one afternoon, blessed, he fell asleep, took like a two or three hour afternoon nap. It was glorious. And he came down to dinner while we were all eating dinner because he was out. He was out. We were moving on. And he came down and he had his hair, you know, in a thousand different places. And he's like, is it breakfast already? He was just completely confused and out of sorts because of uh, he was a lack of sleep and just exhausted and stressed. And sometimes doubt enters our life. And because we're just spent, we just don't have the frame of mind to understand the truth. Sometimes we doubt because we go through a very deep crisis. A lost loved one, a trauma, an illness, an accident, they can cause us to doubt. These are all examples that I give you to demonstrate that the motives behind someone's doubt are numerous and they are very important because if you can know the motive, why someone is doubting, then you can bring a proper remedy to that person's doubt. Someone someone whose doubt is rooted in ignorance doesn't just need a nap, right? They need education. Someone whose, uh, whose doubt is rooted in crisis doesn't need a Bible study on biblical worldview. They, they need something quite different. So we can understand the reasons behind the doubt, and we can bring a proper remedy this morning. So I want to look at Thomas today. Because in a day when everybody else was celebrating, eventually, the death and the re- burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus, there, there was, we've seen the Lord. Thomas doesn't believe. His best friends, his brothers in arms that he has been doing life with under the tutelage and teaching of Jesus for three years have come to him and said, no, 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 Thomas, really, we've seen the Lord. He came into this room, not sure about the locked door, but he came in here. He showed us his side. He showed us his hands. We've seen him. And Thomas said, until I see it, in fact, until I touch him, I'm not going to believe. He's a skeptic. He has doubts about the resurrection. 
And so I want to I deal with that today. I want to show us what Thomas is doubting. I want to show us why he's doubting. I want to look at the remedy that Jesus brings to his doubt. And I want you to see, most importantly, the result of this remedy. So look at verses 24 and 25 with me. Chapter, 9, chapter 20, verse 24 and 25. Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them, as we just read, when Jesus came the first time. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord... But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will never believe. So according to the text, what is Thomas doubting? Thomas is doubting that Jesus is alive. He's not doubting that he had been alive. He's not doubting his last three years of life with Jesus. He's not even doubting, um, the, the, he's not even questioning the sanity of his brothers and the disciples. Thomas is doubting that Jesus is alive. He doubts Jesus' resurrection. And it's the, so which begs the question, like, why? Okay, well, first of all, it's, can we just agree that it's highly unusual to believe that a dead man has been resurrected. Let's let's sit and validate and just marinate in that fact for just a minute. It's an unusual thing that we believe. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we're sharing the gospel, sharing the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done. And someone's reaction is, I'm sorry, let 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 me spit this back at you. God is three persons, but one God. The son came, born of a virgin, and yet but is still fully God, and he lived this perfect life 2,000 years ago, died, was buried, and came alive again, and then ascended into heaven. Yes, that is accurate. You have the gospel right there in a nutshell. We shouldn't be surprised when someone goes, it's weird. I know it's not weird to you because you you believe your eyes have been opened to the truth, but it's, it's unusual. It's strange, and so we shouldn't read Mary Magdalene. We shouldn't read... Peter, we shouldn't read the other disciples and we shouldn't read here Thomas and be condemnatory or judgmental. We should read this and go, yeah, I I can understand why this would be a problem for you to swallow. But here's the thing, Thomas, we saw the Lord. So what kind of doubt is this? Is it skepticism that's brought about by a real worldview? Is he just tired? Does he just need a nap? No. The context tells us that Thomas's doubt is skepticism. And it's skepticism that's gone through a huge religious disappointment. And Thomas doesn't want to be disappointed ever again. Thomas believed, just like the other disciples, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And that belief was destroyed in a very public way, in a very humiliating way in the crucifixion. And Thomas did not want to be snookered again, even if his friends already were. Thomas was not going to be gullible, if you will. Uh, Don Carson, in his book, uh, Scandalous, tells the story of an evangelist. Um, Last name is Popoff. What a great last name. Popoff. And he was living out in California. And so he would do um, what you might associate with uh, charismatic, 
um, ministries where he would have these events, kind of like the Benny Hinn, you know, kinds of things. He would have these events out in California, and um, and he would stand on the stage and he'd do a little this, that, or the other, and he would say, you know, the Lord is leading me. Um, I, I, I sense that there is a person here. He's in section J, seat ninety-five, and he has migraine headaches. And, and is that true? And and this person would stand and say, yeah, like, and it was it was true. It was really true. And then he would go through this, you know, be healed or whatever. And he would be supposedly healed of his, his migraine headaches. Uh, I'm not quite as cynical about that kind of stuff as you might believe. So don't, don't, don't judge me on that. that. This is just for an illustration, okay? But what was really going on there was something quite, um, uh, quite more mechanical. So his wife would be out in the crowd as people were coming in. And she would just eavesdrop and listen. And she would listen to people talk about, you know, well, I hope that, I hope that he... Call, I hope that the Lord reveals him to reveals me to this this pop off today because my lower back is killing me, or this kind of things. And so she would make note as people were going in about those kinds of things. Watch where they sit. And he was wearing an earpiece, a hearing aid, is what he told everybody. But it was an earpiece in his ear. And so she would get on the radio and she's, "Honey, we've got one." And see, J ninety five. There's a guy with migraine headaches. And it was so it was all a show. It was all a show. Now, can you imagine? What would happen to your faith if your faith was in that particular experience of, uh, of, of the faith? If, if your belief was that God is real because this guy named Popoff can determine just apparently by the leadership of the Spirit and then heal a person by the power of the Spirit without any collusion. But then you, then you come to realize, as ABC once exposed them uh, on, a, on the public news, that, that, it was all a, that it was all a farce, that it was all a farce. You would feel snookered, you would feel gullible, you would feel taken advantage of, and you would then doubt. I want you to feel like that's, that's the weight that Thomas is dealing with here. Jesus is the Messiah. He is on the way to Jerusalem, and then he is crucified. He is found to be not who he said he was. And I'm wondering if this is perhaps the case for any of us. Have we ever written off God because of some profound disappointment, because of some hurt? Have we been burned by the church, disillusioned by hypocrisy? Have we been walking with the Lord only to have our wind taken out of our sails based on a traumatic event, and you just don't want to believe anymore because it's all been very disillusioning? It's made us doubt Jesus' love and His provision. See, that's what Thomas is dealing with. He doesn't want to be gullible. His doubt is grounded in the fear that he's going to be made a fool again. And he doesn't want to be sucked into this black hole of faith that has no substance. He wants, he wants to know that what he believes is real, that it's true. So what's the remedy? Thomas doesn't need a seminary class. Thomas needs what verse 25, he tells us what he needs. Look at verse 25. If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and I put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. The remedy for Thomas is a genuine encounter with the real Jesus. No amount of explaining, no amount of testimony. Isn't that interesting? No no amount of hearing good news is going to open Thomas's eyes. He needs Jesus to do something for him that only Jesus can do. 
Look what happens in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless. Don't doubt. Believe. And Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Now, that verse right there, verse 28, is very astounding for lots of reasons, but there's just one that I want to pull out for the sake of time. I could do this all day, but here's, here's one that I, I want to highlight. Notice how personal Thomas's response is. My Lord, my God. Thomas's statement goes well beyond just stating that something is true. It's not just a matter of fact for Thomas. It is deeply personal. We believe matters of fact in the, in the church. The Bible teaches us matters of fact to believe. When we present the gospel, there are matters of fact to be told. And yet the belief of them is so much more than just fact. It is not just a, a cognitive understanding. It's not just a mental agreement. It is deeply and profoundly personal. The same is required for all of us. This is the only kind of belief in Jesus that Jesus actually believes. It's a personal and it's an intimate confession that Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my God, that Jesus is your Lord and that Jesus is your God. And this belief comes as a result for Thomas and for us as a, through a genuine, real, personal encounter with Jesus. That's how it comes. So the immediate result of this remedy is a genuine faith for Thomas and a genuine Jesus. It's interesting if you go back up in the text and compare verses 19, the experience with the first disciples with Jesus and then with Thomas. Verse 20, having said this, which was peace, he showed them his hands and his side. And when the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord... I almost said scroll down, move down um, into uh, verses uh, 26. Thomas is with them. The doors were locked. Jesus came. 27, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. What is it that Thomas had said? I got to put my hands onto his body. That's when I'll believe. He needed a genuine encounter for a genuine faith, and that's what Jesus gave him. But there is a greater result, bigger than just Thomas, that comes out of this experience. Look at verses 29 through 31. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now, I've often read verse 29, and I thought, why would Jesus scold Thomas here? Does it kind of feel like that a little bit? Like Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe until I can put my hand into his side and touch his That feels like a tall order. For, like, for someone to believe, like, why would Thomas do that? And then Jesus does it. Jesus meets him all the way where he is with his doubt, gives him his hands, 
opens up his side for him, and Thomas touches and believes. And in that moment, Jesus says, Blessed are you that believe, but if you really wanted to be blessed, Thomas, you should have believed without seeing. But that's not, that's not what's going on here. That's not actually what's taking place. Jesus' appearance to Thomas is the very specific remedy for Thomas's kind of doubt. So why would Jesus choose this moment to seemingly lecture Thomas on how now that his faith is restored is maybe really just average faith because he could have believed without seeing. That's not what's going on. If you read all of 29 through 31 together, you get the gist, which you should. My Bible has it broken up, the purpose of this gospel. It separates 29 through 30. That's not there in John's Uh, that's not there in the original manuscript that John wrote. So you shouldn't read it as if that's there. You should read 29, 30, 31 together. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. So John jumps intentionally in the story to say that Jesus did all these other miraculous signs. And of course, they could not all be written down, but these are written, the ones in John's gospel, including specifically, especially the one in which Jesus appeared to Thomas in order that the later generations who will never see the signs that Thomas saw, who will never get the experience that that Thomas specifically had, in order that those generations of people who will not see in this life, but will see in order that later generations who will never see the signs, who will not in this life see the resurrected body of Jesus, might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing they will have life in His name. They won't see the same way Thomas did, but they will see the way Jesus just describes it in verse 29, and that will make them blessed. That will make them blessed. You see, the means by which you and I of later generations have access to these historical witnesses of the resurrected Jesus is through the written record of the Gospels that include Thomas and his doubt and his story and his transition to belief. Thomas is part of the chain. He's a part of the evidence. He saw and he believed, and by his witness, by his confession, he is still believing, he is still speaking, he is still confessing, and God is using this to generate faith in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation who all come to believe in the truth of the gospel. The ultimate result of Thomas's remedy, the ultimate result to the remedy to Thomas's doubt isn't just Thomas's believing, it's you believing. That's the result. It's me believing. So what? So what? Jesus came out of the grave. So what? Well, I just want to leave you with three illustrations that really just drive to the exact same point over and over again. So what? You need to believe this. And I'm not talking about like start today and then be settled. I mean every day claim the reality of a risen Savior and it will radically transform and by the way, complicate your life. Amen? The gospel ruins this earthly life if you think that that's all there is, is this earthly life. And it liberates you for a heavenly life. 
Dr. Michael Spiegel uh, wrote this this week. He said, if Jesus is just a dead man, you can wager on any religion or philosophy that you want. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then all bets are off. It's very true. Chuck Colson. Watergate fame, Nixon administration, served time in prison for his crimes. Says this. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, or imprisoned. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. Today's response to the word is, with, is the same response that Thomas had. It's to walk out of here this morning and say, My Lord and my God, the one that I follow, the one that I worship, because he overcame death. And what is true for him is going to be true for us when he comes back. Let's bow our heads in response. And we'll sing together. to reflect on the, the, the absolutely confounding truth of the gospel and of the resurrection this morning. Father, we are blessed because of the doubt of Thomas. Because through his journey from doubt to faith, the remedy that you gave him, a real encounter with you. You now share with us and show with us what it means to have a real encounter with you here and today. For the believers in this room, you've opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel as it was shared, as, as it was shared over and over and over again. At some point in time, the Christians in this room believed that this really happened and believed that you really are Lord and God, just like Thomas. And because we believe that, we give our lives to you. I mean, it shapes and forms every single thing that we do. And so we would ask this morning that for those that don't, they will today. That any doubt would be, would be remedied by a real encounter with you today, by the power of your spirit, through the proclaiming of your word. Make it so. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.